information. They regulated global economic affairs with a swiftness and decisiveness that governments couldn't match. And then, suddenly, they didn't. The whole intellectual edifice collapsed in the summer of last year, Greenspan admitted at the October 2008 hearing. That was when the private market for U.S. mortgage securities collapsed, beginning a fitful unraveling of asset market after asset market around the world. Distrust spread. Many previously thriving credit markets shut down entirely. Bank runs, long thought to endanger only actual banks, threatened any financial institution that ran on borrowed money. After Greenspan's successor at the Fed, Ben Bernanke, and Treasury Secretary Hank Paulson, decided in September 2008 not to step in to avert such a run on Lehman Brothers, global finance virtually ceased functioning. It took a partial government takeover of the financial system, not just in the United States, but in Europe, to bring back even a modicum of calm. Greenspan struggled to explain what had gone wrong, because the intellectual edifice around which he had built his thinking simply didn't allow room for the events of the preceding 14 months. This was the edifice of rational market theory. The best-known element of rational market theory is the efficient market hypothesis, formulated at the University of Chicago in the 1960s with reference to the U.S. stock market. The belief in the so-called rational market that took hold in the years that followed, though, was about more than just stocks. It held that as more stocks, bonds, options, futures, and other financial instruments were created and traded, they would inevitably bring more rationality to economic activity. Financial markets possessed a wisdom that individuals, companies, and governments did not. The notion that financial markets know a lot has been around as long as financial markets themselves. In 1889, stock market chronicler George Rutledge Gibson asserted that when shares become publicly known in an open market, the value which they there acquire may be regarded as the judgment of the best intelligence concerning them. Hints of this same attitude could be found in the work of early economists such as Adam Smith and even the religious thinkers of the Middle Ages while some medieval ecclesiastical scholars argued that lawgivers should set a just price for every good to guarantee that producers earned a living wage and consumers weren't gouged, others, St. Thomas Aquinas among them, held that the just price was set by the market. All these early claims for the correctness and justness of market prices came with caveats. Doses of realism, you could call them. George Gibson wrote that stock exchanges were prone to manias and panics and called for the regulation of bucket shops that urged customers to speculative excess. Adam Smith thought corporations with widely dispersed ownership, the shares of which are what make stock markets go, were abominations. Thomas Aquinas made no claim that the market price was always right, just that it was hard to come up with a fairer alternative. The 20th century version of rational market theory was different. 
both more careful and more extreme. It started with the observation that the movements of stock prices were random and could not be predicted on the basis of past movements. This observation was followed by the claim that it was impossible to predict stock prices on the basis of any publicly available information, such as earnings, balance sheet data, and articles in the newspaper. From those starting points, both of which were, it turned out later, not entirely correct, flowed the conviction that stock prices were in some fundamental sense right. Most of the scholars who backed this hypothesis early on didn't mean for it to be taken as a literal description of reality. It was a scientific construct, a model for understanding, for testing and engineering new tools. All scientific models are oversimplified.